Hey y'all, welcome back to the Don't Mom Alone podcast. I am your host, Heather McFadden, and this is the place where I'm gonna walk alongside you and connect you with people and resources so you know that you don't mom alone. In this episode number 274, we're talking about training a child's heart with Dr. Scott Taransky. The idea here is that if we strategically focus on the heart of a child and use techniques that are more internally focused, we can bring major change in the life of a child in a short amount of time. Eight weeks, we can see some really significant things take place. So, I, And I deal with really challenging situations, children with attention deficit disorder, children with oppositional defiant disorder, yeah. uh, even kids with autism. But all these kids have a heart, and we yeah. can see some significant change take place. So I would suggest the most important way to think about this idea of parenting is that we've got to think about the heart. We've got to strategize. We've got to plan. We've got to uh, find personal solutions that are going to reach this child's heart. And uh, we specialize in ideas. So giving people ideas and techniques and strategies in order to do that can bring about some significant change. Dr. Taransky and Joe Ann Miller co-founded the National Center for Biblical Parenting. And they also co-authored one of my go-to books for dealing with anger, my anger. In parenting, it's called Good and Angry, but uh, Dr. Transky's written over 15 books, but he has been on my list of guests I've wanted to have on the show, and so I'm thankful that this finally came together because y'all are such great parents, and you're looking for more help, and so if I can connect you with additional resources, I'm thrilled to do it. Okay, one more thing I want to point out before we get started. At the end of my conversation with Dr. Transky, I selfishly asked him for advice for one of my kiddos who's a little more oppositional and training his heart can be difficult. We spent about 10 minutes on that conversation and my team has decided to edit that portion out and release it as a bonus episode. It's super valuable and we know some of you will just want that section. Uh, So make sure you're subscribed to the show so you when that releases, you get notified. Going back to the training of a child's heart, as a parent, you and I have this unique and weighty task of raising our children to love and obey Jesus. At times, it can feel difficult because there's dishes and kids running around, and I would do anything, I don't know about you, to just spend time in God's Word with my kids. Well, I have a resource for you. Published in partnership with Concordia Publishing House, the ESV Seek and Find Bible is a full-color children's Bible that combines the complete ESV Bible text with 130 vibrant illustrations of Bible stories. The ESV Seek and Find Bible is an ideal first real Bible for young kids. With engaging illustrations alongside the text of Scripture, this resource is a perfect on-ramp to introduce children to daily Bible reading in a way that's going to capture their imagination. It's going to guide their hearts and foster their minds in the truth of God's Word for years to come. And now through February 24th, 2020, Don't Mom Alone listeners can pick up an ESV Seek and Find Bible along with other ESV children's Bibles for 40% off with a free Crossway Plus membership. Just head over to crossway.org forward slash DMA1, the number, For more information, that's crossway.org forward slash DMA1. All right, let's get to my chat with Scott. Here we go. Hey, Scott, welcome to the Don't Mom Alone podcast. Hey, Heather, thanks for having me on. This is uh, great. I appreciate it. Well, like I was telling you, it's a little bit ridiculous that it's taking me six years to have you on since your books were super influential in raising 
my voice. So my apologies for my delay. <laughs> well, I'm glad we're together. I'm sure it'll be beneficial. <laughs> yeah, there, you know, some of the things you introduced me to really gave me scripts and different approaches to my boys that I couldn't just rely on how I was parented or just my go-to gut reaction. It was like I needed someone to open my eyes to a different way. And so I'd love for you to do that for the moms listening today. Why don't you maybe start with a question I get often. It's about discipline and consequences and moms really saying, oh, I know I want to shape their bad behavior, but I struggle in the moment to think of a good consequence um, in particular when they know that there's a heart issue, but they don't know what kind of consequence will deal with that. All right. So when we, we're trying to change a child's heart, that is, we're talking about the tendencies that a child has. Let's just start there. Yeah. When a child has a tendency to argue with you when you give an instruction or to make a disrespectful or sarcastic remark to you when you say no to something or to get angry when you try to correct, those are tendencies. If, we're, if we identify a tendency, then we know we're working in the heart. So that's just a one-off experience, but it's a pattern that needs to be addressed. So yeah. if we're gonna address patterns, then we need to do something that uh, is deeper than just reward punishment. So uh, I think parents often use reward punishment which is simply behavior modification. It's taught in, in the world of psychology. Uh, it's what we use to train animals with. It basically says to children when they're young, clean up your mess and you can have a snack. Or to a child who's older, finish your homework. Can you can watch TV. If, if we do that to children, then what we're essentially saying to them is, I'll give you what you want if you do what I say on the reward side. And it appeals to the selfishness inside of a child. It basically says to a child, it encourages them to think about themselves. Children start asking the wrong questions and about like, what am I going to get out of this? Yeah. Uh, what do I have to do to get my reward? What's the minimum I need to do to get my reward? And then on the consequence side, uh, children start evaluating whether the consequences worth their activity. It's just the wrong kind of thinking. What we want children to do is we want them to think in terms of uh, what's the right thing to do? How can I contribute to what's going on here? And that takes a little bit different approach. So back to your question, what consequences do we use to deal with bad behavior? I would suggest that parents move to consequences too quickly mm. and that another approach that I think will make lasting change or stronger change, deeper change, in a child's heart is training. So if we go to the scriptures in 2 Timothy 3.16, it gives us four ways there that the Bible changes our lives. It mm. says the scriptures are profitable for teaching, for rebuke, for correction, and for training in righteousness. So I ask parents, look at yourself now. I mean, ask yourself in those four things, which of those things do you find yourself doing most? And a lot of parents raise their hand. They say, oh yeah, I'm, I'm pretty good at the rebuking and the correcting department. I don't do a lot of teaching and training in righteousness. So I say, okay, well, correction isn't wrong and we have to use it and God uses it with us, but uh, a, a more appropriate and effective and powerful tool is training in the life of a child. So 
I'm going to beg your question for a moment because I'm hoping you're going to say, okay, what does this training look like? And I'm going to to kind of walk you through. I have a thousand examples in my head, so go for it. Yes. (laughs) All right. right, So here's what I would suggest. Let's say that a child argues or or doesn't respond when given an instruction, for example. um, Refuses to get ready to go to school. Or has a bad attitude. Bad attitude, You have to nag them all the time or or they disappear when you call their name. I mean, all that. All of that is in the getting things done department of family life. So very important area to work on. And we can do a lot of correcting. We can punish them. We can give them a a star chart to move them in a direction. But I would suggest that training is a little bit different. It doesn't rely primarily on external motivations. Uh, And so when we go for training then we might say to a child something like this. One of the things I want to help you develop now, since you're almost four or almost 14, it doesn't make any difference what age they are, right? You're right, okay. right. As you're growing in your maturity, is I want to help you develop a life skill that's going to help you for the rest of your life. This is the life skill of cooperation. It's something you're going to use in a marriage to be successful. You use it more at school. If you're ever on a team, uh, all of these things are helpful. It'll improve our relationship. And so I just want you to know, I'm going to be working with you on cooperation in order to strengthen that life skill for you. Now, what that's done is position the parent well. Now, it's also set out there a target. We're really looking at uh, a point B instead of point A. Point A is the problem. Point B is the solution. Point A is resistance. Point B is cooperation. And so we're not just focusing on the problem now, cut it out, stop doing that. If you don't cut it out, I'm going to, and give a consequence. Now we're saying, hey, we're working on cooperation. This is where we're going, and this is what we're going to do. So once we've laid out a target of cooperation for a child, now we can implement some training exercises. I would suggest, let's say you're working with a young child, I might say, we're going to practice coming when called. Okay. Uh, And the reason I say that is because, not because I think, Every child needs to come when called whenever they're told to come when called. But, but <laughs> like I, a sound I, of music, whistle or something. Yeah, yeah I, and I, but I, I, what I believe needs to take place in the heart of a child is they need to learn to give up their agenda hmm. and they need to learn how to do something that they need to do versus what they want to do. And so if we take an activity like coming when called, uh, really at any age, we're putting a child in the arena of their heart where they must wrestle with what do I need to do versus what do I want to do? What I need to do is come because my mom's called me versus I want to stay here and play on this video game or play with these blocks, depending on the age of the child. But what I want to do can't dictate my life. The want to's need to be overcome by this need to, which is really a sense of obligation. So if we want children to get things done, then they need to develop a sense of obligation. And that can be developed in a child through training exercises like coming when called, or when I call your name and you come, I'm going to give you an instruction. Son, you need to uh, go into the bathroom and hang up the towel that's on the floor. And when you give that instruction, the child needs to say, okay, mom, or okay, dad. It's acknowledging the instruction. And then the child needs to go complete the task and report back, mom, I finished it. Now, the parent needs to go check the work because if the, the child's idea of hanging the towel up is to scrunch it in the rack, then uh, there's a problem here. So, son, let me explain to you what I mean when I say hang up the towel at five years old or 15 years old, okay? We're saying what you need to do is fold the towel in thirds, hang it up nicely on the rack. That's what it means to hang up the towel. So why don't you do that and report back to me that you're done. Now, if we take children through this cycle, what I just shared with you is a cycle of getting things done that contributes to a process 
for internal growth inside of a child's heart. Mm -hmm. uh, what I mean by that is that the task of hanging up the towel isn't as important as the process of coming when, right away, saying, okay, mom, and reporting back when, when I'm done, because all of that communicates an attitude, an attitude of initiative, cooperation, all these things that we want to develop in the child. I would suggest that 20 times a day, we should be doing something like, if we're going to work on cooperation, we can't just do it at the same time as we're giving instructions all day. We've got to stop and say, okay, building this new quality as a tendency in my child's heart is going to require some drills. It's going to require some training. The Bible uses the word training several times in relationship to parents. Train up a child in the way he should go. The word training is an important word there. Bring them up in Ephesians 6. Bring them up in the, in the training of the Lord. So we're training them. That's an important word that applies to the parenting dynamic. And I think that if we do, if we focus on where we're going and we start training our children to get there, it makes our parenting more positive. It reduces the number of time we have to use consequences. It increases the practice sessions. It gives us opportunities to affirm the heart and character instead of just behavior. And children are developing life skills that will take them well into the future. So I love several things. One, I love that you've basically, like I was telling you earlier, given a mom a script or a dad mm -hmm. that enables them to be calm in this scenario where I see another response could be, I can't believe you left the bathroom towel on the floor. Go pick it up. And then they go and they squash it. Don't you know how to put the towel away? Da, 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 da. Like frustration, sure. anger, nagging. You gave a positive spin. You gave a way to communicate and train a task. But I think what I'm hearing is that the behaviors didn't change. It's the parent's response to them that changed. And yes. the future behaviors are changing. Yes, it's so, true that if children are going to change, parents need to change. That, that is that true. Is, so it's, it's helpful for us to consider, okay, what are these things in our days that tend to be stress points? And I think it was your book, Good and Angry, that helped me remove the guilt of, I'm angry all the time, raising these four young boys. I'm angry all the time. What is that? Why? I'm such a bad, quote unquote, Jesus follower, believer, Christian, that I'm angry all the time. And your book said, anger is not the problem. Being angry is an emotion. It's when I use the anger to solve the problem sure. that I have an issue. And so I think having parents think about their day, where are some common stress points, where are some places where cooperation could be worked on, and then to think outside of those times, what are what things I could say? What are things that are important to our family that I could train? And then the emotions don't take the front seat in those scenarios. Yeah, that book, Good and Angry, is a book that in the very first chapter addresses what I just said to you. This whole instruction yes. routine, yes. that's the first chapter of the book. In other words, let's target one of the main areas where we as parents feel angry. We feel <laughs> angry usually because our kids are doing the wrong thing. Yeah. So let's use anger as a flag, an indicator that says, okay, I need to move into a plan or a script, as you say, that's going to uh, help me approach this weakness that my child has in a way that's going to move them towards success. And so uh, turning this into an exercise or practice session can go a long way to help a child to grow and develop. Now, I also, sometimes I hear in my head the mom who 
is kind of turning her nose up at some ideas. And so I imagine her, when you lay out that scenario of the child in the bath towel, her saying, well, my child won't even do what I ask if I said it, said it in a calm way and said it very, you know, ask them to do it. They would say, no, I don't want to. How do we approach those oppositional hearts? And like you said earlier, the bad attitudes as we're trying to train and instruct. Yes, I don't want to give the impression uh, <laughs> that uh, raising children is like following a recipe. <laughs> and if we just follow the ingredients, we're going to pop out with an angelic child. I, I think it's far more complicated than that. And we need to be ready for the various twists and turns that take place. We have identified several heart-based tools that can provide for us the uh, kind of framework to manage the various uh, things that are going on. So in a situation where a child is resistant, it could be a host of different things. And one of our tools to reach the heart is relationship. So emotionally connecting with a child is important. Now that might be easier to do with a four-year-old or a preschooler than it is with a 14-year-old who's developing independence. So we have to work on the relational uh, end of things in order to strengthen that. Another tool is firmness. And that's well, firmness creates structures, structures that are going to take a child in the, in the direction they need to take them. And it does involve consequences when necessary. So there are times when we're going to come along and say, okay, look, if you're not responding to me, then we are going to have to take away the privilege of playing on the iPad, for example. Let's say we take away a privilege, all right? That's part of firmness. But the, the removing of a privilege is still focused on the goal. It's trying to motivate a child to go back and start working on this area of cooperation in tangible ways. We're going to show you what it looks like. This is what you need to do. And using a heart-based approach, we don't typically set a time where, okay, I'm taking the iPad away for a week. That's behavior modification. What we'd rather say is, I want to give you back your iPad. Show me that you're moving in the direction that you need to move in this area of cooperation. I'll give you some practice sessions. I'll give you some opportunities to do it. You show me your you're doing this, and I'll give your iPad back today. In other words, we tie the consequence to progress toward the goal that we're trying to implement. Now whose responsibility is to get the iPad back to the child? It's not The parent's not hiding it in the freezer and under the bed and so on. Now the parent wants to give the privilege back, and we're using it as an internal motivation now to move a child toward the goal of progress in their hearts to develop the character necessary. I like that, especially since I got a text this morning that one of our children lost a device for hitting his brother in the car. Mm-hmm. So we've, uh, we've got the motivator is to get the device back, but the target behavior is self-control, not hitting <laughs> when we're frustrated, and kindness towards others, right? Yes, and so that's great. You've set the target out there. And so how does he get the iPad back? Well, maybe what he needs to do in order to get the iPad back is he needs to apologize to his brother. And maybe he also needs to uh, have some practice sessions on kindness, mm-hmm. contributing, contributing to the home. The home is both the place we live and it's the people in the home. Yeah. So if he is struggling with meanness, uh, then kindness would be a great solution and and really the solution then is to practice kindness. Uh, and that could be a couple times a day. There's an alarm that goes off somehow, and it's kindness exercise time. Think of mm-hmm. one thing that you can do for the house, and one thing you can do for the people in the house, and report to me what you did. So we're trying to help a child move from self-focused tendencies to more solutions. 
Jumping in here to give a shout out to one of this month's sponsors. They help make this show possible. It's Fab Fit Fun, and they are a premium women's subscription box service. What I find fab lately is hanging out weekly with a friend, having coffee, and getting fit. I've been moving my body 20 to 30 minutes a day somehow, and it has helped with mental clarity and just feeling better. And my fun is non-traditional. It's Bruce and I watching a Netflix show while doing jigsaw puzzles. What is FabFitFun for you? Another thing is getting my seasonal subscription box delivered to my door. It takes away any of the work of trying to figure out what the latest and greatest favorite things are. FabFitFun does that for me. And in this spring 2020 box that I just got, there was a light treatment tool, like real technology in my box that helps deal with aging skin. Yes, it's my birthday soon, and I'm not even going to tell you, but uh, with winter, it's just a fun thing that I would never think to buy for myself. If you want to check it out and have happiness delivered straight to your door each season, choosing from a variety of beauty, fashion, fitness, wellness products to customize your own way, this spring box is valued at over $200 and it retails for $49.99. But if you use the code DMA10, you'll get $10 off your first box over at Fab Fit Fun. That's $10 off if you use the code DMA10 for your first box over at FabFitFun.com. All right, let's get back to my conversation with Scott. Here we go. Well, well, I think it leads into another thing I've taken from y'all, which is the term honor. And Mm. I could define it, but it, it stuck with me and I used it multiple times. And I think even in sibling scenarios, I would use that language and how are you going to return honor? So why don't you um, communicate to everyone what that value system is and how it can apply to families? Okay. So first of all, the word honor is used in eight commands, uh, nine commands in the Bible altogether. Uh, Eight in addition to honor your father and mother. Examples are the honor pastors, honor widows, honor your body, honor marriage. All of that is in scripture. So honor is a very important concept for uh, God in relationship to our activities. Uh, honor, we define it as th- this way. Honor is treating people as special, doing more than what's expected, and having a good attitude. In other words, you're contributing to the environment, not just thinking about yourself. So honor is this very important concept that God has instructed to be learned in the home, but it's something that's applied all over. So children learn how to demonstrate honor in all kinds of ways. It starts with honoring parents, but they honor their brothers and sisters and uh, honor others outside the home. And this honor then gets them thinking outside themselves. We would suggest that honor is God's anti-selfishness curriculum. Yeah. So we, we wrote a book about honor called Say Goodbye to Whining, Complaining, and Bad Attitudes in You and Your Kids. And this book kind of outlines various aspects of selfishness that children and parents experience in their lives and how honor then becomes the practice sessions for developing this quality inside of our lives. We all want to be honoring people. God is hidden within honor, the secret ingredients that children need to be successful in their future. So practicing that at home with siblings and parents is a great thing. And I think whole, whole families then develop this DNA of honor that is just strategic in their relationships. And I think shines a light in a community that's lost the art yeah. of honor, um, honoring other generations, honoring strangers. And so we've had that where it's, it's a sibling situation 
uh, and I say, you know, you've taken honor from that person, whether it's the name calling or the whatever, it's something embarrassing. How are you going to return honor to them? What are you going to do that treats them special or goes above and beyond what's expected? Um, I think your example once was if, if they're asked to kind of get the table ready for dinner, obedience would be to go and to do it, but to honor the family would maybe to do something special, maybe put candles on the table or I don't know if your kids are in, kids are into origami sometimes, you know, fold the napkins in a fun way, like to do something above and beyond um, what's expected. I think kids kind of enjoy the challenge of it, especially when they're in those young elementary years they want to have a sense of belonging and they get a lot of positive feedback when they do the honoring thing. And so that feels good, but yes, where, good. where else have you seen it helpful to apply? It's, con- it's contribution is what they're doing. Yeah. So yeah. when they, whenever we contribute, we feel like we're being a part of something bigger than ourselves and, and we feel good about that. But I would suggest that in the morning when children are getting ready, they have a to-do list. Sometimes it's written down. Most of the time it's in people's heads. Yeah. But at the end of their to-do list for the morning, there should be the honor thing where mm-hmm. you look for something else that you can do to get us all out of the house or to contribute to the home here. Or if they have a chore list, then at the end of their chore list should be the honor thing, which is look around for something else in this house that needs to be done. In doing this, what we're doing is teaching children to see what needs to be done and do it for themselves. That idea is foreign to many children who are used to just self-care when it comes to their chores or used to focusing on themselves when it uh, when they're getting through the morning and everyone has a responsibility to contribute to society for children society is their family and we teach them how to be contributors using the concept of honor super helpful so one thing that might come up in moms <laughs> I, I know when I listen to podcasts sometimes and I get new information, my eyes are then open to some things in my kids and I get really frustrated and want to see the change right away. Like, oh my goodness, I did not realize how little my kids contributed or how uncooperative they were. And Mr. Transky was talking about this and I'm so mad, guys, you're so dishonoring. And then their anger rises up. So Talk to us. Give us a little bit of encouragement of, of seeing the long game of parenting. Well, first of all, uh, let me say that one of my roles is I'm a professor at Concordia University where I teach the master's level parenting yeah. class. Everybody's getting a family life education has to go through my class. And every one of my students then, while they're in the class, must work with a parent to bring about change. Hmm. And so we boast uh, that... We can bring about change in any child at any age with any problem in eight weeks. Now, that doesn't mean they're going to be an angel, but we can see major changes. So I don't want to put this off too long because it delays in parents the urgency to uh, work right now. There's so much that we can do right now. We have a coaching program where I teach the same material at the National Center for Biblical Parenting, and I've got over 200 coaches that work with parents. Uh, right now I have eight clients I'm working with myself. And then I've got all these other coaches working with people. But the idea here is that if we strategically focus on the heart of a child and use techniques that are more internally focused, we can bring major change in the life of a child in a short amount of time. Hmm. Eight weeks, we can see some really significant things take place. So I, and I deal with really challenging situations, children with attention deficit disorder, children with oppositional defiant disorder, uh, even kids with autism, but all these kids have a heart. 
and we yeah. can see some significant change take place. So I would suggest the most important way to think about this idea of parenting is that we've got to think about the heart. We've got to strategize. We've got to plan. We've got to uh, find personal solutions that are going to reach this child's heart. And uh, we specialize in ideas. So giving people ideas and techniques and strategies in order to do that can bring about some significant change. Now, we are in it for the long haul. And certainly, if your child has an anger problem, we'll probably see that anger problem go beyond the eight weeks. But we're going to have a solution in place that's going to be molding character so that now in this arena of emotional challenges, we have a plan and we're working that plan and we're feeling like we're moving forward in it. That's encouraging to me, where sometimes you get in these patterns with your family and you think, well, this is just how it's going to be. But to think that, you know, taking the time, putting the energy in, having a plan, focusing on the heart could lead to change in a couple months is very encouraging. Yeah, it's really powerful. It's exciting. Keep in mind, though, let, let's take it the other end of this. The, okay. uh, the adolescent spectrum mm-hmm. now goes from about 10 years old to 25 years old. So what? <laughs> There are, there are three stages to adolescence. Okay. Okay. Kids are arriving into adolescence earlier, not just because of puberty, but because of their access to technology in an adult world. And uh, they kind of bombarded with information. And so they're being challenged with more uh, adult concepts earlier. So we usually see adolescence beginning somewhere around 10. Uh, the first stage goes from 12 to 16, give or take two years. And that's characterized by emotionally driven decision making how I, I do what I feel like doing. I'm moody. Often you'll see bad attitudes. This is when children uh, do what they feel like doing, engage in risky behaviors, test out and experiment outside the boundaries. Uh, it's, a, it's a dangerous time for children during those years and requires parental guidance. Then I the have second three kids in that stage, Scott. It's not, <laughs> not well, an encouragement. Let me tell you where you're going. Okay. Okay. Because okay. Okay. Stage two, you want to be moving towards stage two. Okay. Stage two of adolescence goes from 16 to 20, give or take two years. And that stage is characterized by a mission oriented view of life. In other words, I know I'm going, I'm going to go to college. So now I'm going to study instead of just playing video games, or I'm going to be eating better because I want to be more healthy. You know, right. it, as soon as they make that, turn that corner, major things happen to this emotionally driven decision-making and the sense of obligation and responsibility kicks in. So a very important stage. And then the last stage from 20 to 25, give or take two years, is the launching stage. Most uh, young people today are not able to live on their own until they're in their mid to late 20s, just because of the complexity of our world and so on. So that's when they learn how to balance a checkbook and they learn how to, how to live with uh, the medical system and how to make decisions on their own and, and develop their own kind of independent ability to uh, live life. That's really helpful if someone's in that season, that <laughs> season yeah. I have three children in. What do you feel? I feel like there are certain things. If, if a mom has a child uh, five and under and she wants to set herself up for the best success. I know there's not a formula, there's not a recipe, every child's different, but what values or characteristics do you think she should put her time and energy towards in those little years, recognizing developmental stages, language development? You know, I feel like sometimes moms are a little bit too high of expectations for behavior with a little kid. Sometimes I just want to say, relax, stop talking, (laughs) but 
What would be helpful for her in that? Maybe even just zero to 10 stage. Well, let's, let me just make a statement about developmental stages because one of the greatest things you could do at any developmental stage is increase a child's spiritual quotient. Hmm. If a child is sensitive to the Lord and yeah. having a more Christ-mindedness in their lives, they will exceed their developmental uh, stage. Hmm. They'll become more other-centered. They'll become uh, more big-picture people. Even at age four or five years old, if we can do that, then we will help children move along developmentally faster than we will. In other, in other words, don't just tag spirituality on on Sundays. Right. But if it becomes part of, it's integrated into their lives, it increases their developmental capacity farther than any of the other things we can do. It'll, it'll do more than getting them involved in sports or music or martial arts, the other things we try to do to enrich our children's lives, spiritual development, that is teaching our children to love God's word and to pray on their own and, and to uh, listen to God speak to them and take action. Instead of saying, God, give me this, give me that, uh, I want these things from you, saying, God, how can I fit into your plan today? Then having a question at the end of our day that says, how did you see God work today? Yeah. If you ask that question on Sunday, well, everybody knows God works on Sunday. But what about on Monday? How did he work? Well, he works through creation. He works through uh, working situations out. He reminds us of things. He, he connects us with individuals. God works all kinds of places. And if a young person or a child can get a greater spiritual uh, quotient in their life, then it'll accentuate their development far more than any other extracurricular things we try to add on. Having said that, let me come back to your question. I would suggest in the early years, uh, the preschool years, we want to focus in on two primary qualities. That is responsiveness to authority and self-control. So we want to be... <laughs> I'm like, oh man, those are hard. They are. So hard. Again, we're going to go through training. This is a yeah. training ex exercise. Yeah. So we're teaching children how to be self-controlled and respond well to authority. Uh, if we're practicing that in those early years, that becomes a foundation upon which God is going to strengthen the conscience. He's going to do some deeper work in the heart. It's just training that we do that allows God to do more uh, significant work. When they move into the elementary age years, we're increasing responsibility and we're helping them, children, to develop a greater sense of obligation. I have an obligation to contribute, an obligation to respond uh, to others. I have an obligation to... Uh, thank other people, not just because it's good manners, but it's just a quality that God is developing in, in me. So the elementary years are a lot about responsibility and developing that. And then in the teen years, there's, there's different stages in the teen years. But primarily what we're trying to help children do is embrace a sense of independence without being rebellious or having this sense of identity that allows me to be interdependent instead of just uh, finding my own who I am and blowing people off or identifying too much with the culture or whatever. So there's a whole work that we do there for helping young people to manage that. Now, it's very important as you're helping your children and we're helping all parents to move forward that every child must take their faith into the next level of development or they're going to feel like they've grown out of it. So a 14-year-old can say, wow, you know, I, I made a decision for Christ when I was six, but that was when I was a kid. Now I'm older now. And, I, and that kind of thinking moves a child away from the Lord when they really need to take their spiritual 
life into the next stage. If they'll do that, then amazing things can happen in their lives. But we can't assume that children are doing that. They need help and guidance to spiritually uh, grow and develop. Is there a specific book or resource that we could direct a listener to if um, when you said, you know, work on authority and self-control in those younger years, did you guys have a resource that you could point them to? All right. So I've written 15 books on parenting. (laughs) All right. So we have books that are developmentally appropriate. So in other words, we have the baby adventure book that helps parents of children zero to 12 months. It's a devotional that helps them understand more about how God works with us as his children. It's a great way to get started and and deals with practical ideas. Joanne Miller's a pediatric nurse. She wrote the book with me and she's got great ideas for infant care. And then we've got the the toddler's book that takes to 36 months. And we've got the preschool explorer's book that helps parents know in very practical ways, short chapters, practical sound bites, Here's what we're going to do in order to move forward. And we go uh, up through the developing responsibility. Cultivating responsibility is the one for children up to age 12. So those are the books we've written so far. There's an overarching book over all of those called The Christian Parenting Handbook. And that book uh, gives parents lots of heart-based solutions. Like It's like buckshot. Here's 50 different heart-based ideas that you can use to help target your child's heart and not rely on whatever your parents taught you or, or rebel against what your, you didn't like what your parents did. So you're going to do something different. It's yeah. every child's different. So we've got to have a lot of tools. So that book's designed to be a, uh, a strategy book. Lots of ideas. Yep. Oh my goodness. You're going to have to come back on the show. I'm just going to tell <laughs> you that now you're officially stalked by me and uh, where online would people find you? I'll put links in the show notes, but I just want you to say it so they can hear. Well, biblicalparenting.org is our main uh, website, but I would suggest that parents might be interested in the biblicalparenting.coach site, just because if you've got parents who find tension increasing in their home and they need some help, getting uh, involved with our coaching program is probably a solution they'll be looking for. So biblicalparenting.coach and then biblicalparenting.org. And if they go to biblicalparenting.org, they can sign up for free email parenting tips. Those are articles that we write every week that have to do with the heart and how to reach children at a heart level. So there's a, a real library there of our blog posts that people can have access to as well. Thank you so much. Thank you for helping our families and us. I really appreciate all of your spiritual insight too. I agree with everything that you said there. And I just uh, really pray blessings over your ministry. Well, thank you very much, Heather. It's great to be with you. I remember finishing that interview and kind of feeling, I mean, a little bit of guilt for not focusing on some of the areas of character training that Scott highlighted. And then I also felt a little inspired to get started, to really think through a plan and strategize. And so I don't know how this is hitting you. I don't know if it's causing you more stress. Whenever I do one of these episodes, my goal is not to burden anyone. So we're going to pray and we're going to ask the Holy Spirit to highlight what was for us and what was not for us and to direct us to any next next steps we should take, whether that's personally or with our kids or talking to a spouse or a parent, whatever it is. Lord, we come before you. We thank you for Dr. Transky's work and his desire to train children starting at the heart level. 
And we are so grateful that you actually are the only one who can change a heart. We pray for our children, for them to be softened to your instruction and your correction. We pray for us to get out of the way that we would release control to trust you more. We pray for any emotions we're feeling that are not from you, any lies of the enemy of, of failing or false sense of guilt, that we could bring that to you and that we can trust you to guide us through the Holy Spirit on what part of this conversation was for us and what do we need to let go? What action steps do we need to take? And Lord, I pray for each person listening that they would trust you more, that they would be wise that they wouldn't lean on a technique, but on a person, Jesus, and the work that he does in all of our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Again, make sure you subscribe so you get that bonus episode because Scott kind of goes through uh, seven buckets, he calls it, to help work through um, when a child is more oppositional. And yeah, stick around. Where is going to be good stuff continued? Good stuff coming your way. Thanks y'all for sharing with your friends, leaving reviews, doing all the things. I hope you saw my new Instagram account called The Mom Scene, and scene is spelled S-E-E-N. I'm highlighting moms, doing their thing, celebrating the everyday moments, um, all moms. And it's so fantastic to see what y'all are sending me. So go check that out if you want. It's fun. It's just it's just some a little way in your feed to feel seen in a world where so many other things are celebrated and we're all doing this holy work. So thanks y'all. Adios. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Don't Mom Alone podcast. If you're wanting to connect with more people and more resources to help remind you that you're not alone, head over to don'tmomalone.com. That's where you'll also find show notes with any links mentioned by our guests. Most importantly, I want you to know the good news, the great news that you're not alone because God has promised to always be with you. With faith in Jesus Christ, the one who died for you and rose again, Jesus said when he left, he was going to leave a helper, a comforter to be with us. God in us, moms, that's superpower. So while you're washing dishes at your kitchen sink, while you're driving to and from work, while you're feeding that baby late into the night, while you're cleaning sticky floors, God promises to be just as present with you as when you're worshiping in a church pew. As it says in Zephaniah 3:17, the Lord your God is with you. He is mighty to save. He takes great delight in you. He will quiet you with his love and he will rejoice over you with singing. Now that's good news. Have a great day.